2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here
3: with you. Well, it's come to this Nancy Pelosi. uh, This has been uh, reported by CNN. Nancy Pelosi said, and I quote, This morning I spoke to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, to discuss available precautions for preventing an unstable president from initiating military hostilities or accessing the launch codes and ordering a nuclear strike. The Speaker of the House is working with the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to prevent the President of the United States from nuking somebody, perhaps even us. That's what we've come to. On the line with us for the hour is Representative Ro Khanna representing the 17th district of california the silicon valley area in the u.s house of representatives the vice chair of the congressional progressive caucus congressman kana we haven't had an opportunity to talk since everything went down on wednesday i don't know if you want to relate any of your experiences to us or not but i would love to hear your thoughts on what happened then where we're at and where we go forward
4: well tom thank you it was a uh, a horrific day to see the assault on our capitol an assault that Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani explicitly incited. The irony is, if you look at who they were actually going after, Donald Trump Jr. is saying, please go teach the Republican lawmakers a lesson. So the invasion was actually targeted at the Republicans who were not willing to object to the election. I was in... uh, My office building in Cannon, we got an evacuation alert because apparently there was a lead pipe bomb nearby. Went out of my building along with many people and started to head towards the Capitol, thinking that would be safe. And then fortunately before I went into the Capitol, I got frantic texts saying the building has been overrun, go back right away to your office in Cannon. And so several of us we went ran back to the Cannon building. So disturbing is I don't remember another time in history where you've had a president of the United States incite violence against an institution of our democracy. Just outrageous.
3: (laughs) To say the very least. Any further thoughts or things that you wanted to point out with regard to anything, uh, impeachment or anything else?
4: I actually just jumped off the caucus call with the speaker to do this show. But we were talking about the next steps. And I think the consensus of the caucus is that he has to be impeached and he has to be removed from office. You can't have a president of the United States incite violence and allow him to remain. And so uh, the ideal situation would be that McConnell or some of the Republicans who were the targets of the attack would go to the president and say, look, the votes are there. You're going to be impeached you ought to resign. But I'm doubtful that would happen. And we haven't seen any strong condemnations of the president's conduct from the other side yet. I think we have to proceed with the vote on impeachment. Now, the trial may actually end up happening after the president leaves, because McConnell will have a lot of discretion. But it's still, in my view, important to have the trial whenever it happens and, and to make it clear that this president did something that is intolerable in American democracy.
3: If he has, if it's post noon on the 20th and the Senate votes to remove him from office, I don't understand how that works. I mean,
4: well, presumably, now, one of their arguments would be, well, it's moot, he's already left, but we could argue no, it matters that he be formally impeached and it was initiated before when he was in office, and the reason it matters is that it would bar him from seeking office in the future if he's actually. uh, Impeached, And so you may have the Republicans, some of them try to acquit him on the view that it's a moot point. But there is a material difference to, to being impeached, even if the resolution is afterwards. And the biggest difference is that he wouldn't be able to run for federal office again.
3: And he would be basically convicted of the crimes that he was, because an impeachment is an indictment. Is there any discussion in the caucus about whether this would effectively prevent him from issuing any more pardons?
4: if he were removed, obviously, he wouldn't be able to give pardons. Right. And that's one reason to push for the 25th Amendment and push for impeachment. The challenge is just that even if we impeach him tomorrow in the House, which I think we should, if he, if the 25th Amendment option isn't there and he's not willing to resign, that McConnell has a large discretion on clock. And, you know, he may delay the, the trial in a way that Trump is still able to, to pardon. But I I think you hit the nail on the head of why Trump gave that video now saying he's going to have a smooth transition and everything else. He wants to still pardon people and he wants to retain the presidency the next 13 days. And he was told that if you don't do this, you may actually have the Republicans call for your resignation.
3: Yeah, what I was specifically referencing was the clause in Article 2 that gives the president the power of pardons that he may exercise that power except in cases of impeachment. I realize that's never been adjudicated and there's some debate over what that means. Does that mean that he can't pardon somebody who has been impeached or does that mean that he loses the ability to pardon as soon as the House has impeached him and even before the Senate trial, because if you go back to the debates among the founders or the framers, rather, there was a debate about or a discussion about how do you prevent the president from using his pardon power to prevent his collaborators in a crime from testifying against him. But this has never been adjudicated
4: by the Supreme Court. Is there any no, no, sense of, of what of what that means? Yeah, I, I, my guess is they would argue it relates to the pardoning of people who are relevant to the impeachment trial. So he couldn't pardon someone who's going to testify that he incited violence. But whether it restricts his broader pardon powers before being convicted, I, I mean, I think we could try to make that argument. It's, and like you said, it's never been adjudicated and it would probably go to the court. And maybe the court, if it did find that he couldn't pardon in that case, it, those pardons wouldn't be effective.
3: That seems like an area that's really worth focusing on, because what I'm hearing is that the legal scholar debate is, okay, in cases of impeachment, does that apply to his pardoning people who've been impeached? Does that, does that mean that he loses that power of pardon the minute that the House votes to impeach him? Well, obviously, it wouldn't mean he loses the pardon power when the Senate has convicted him because he's no longer president, so he couldn't do it anyway, which would suggest that it would mean once the House has impeached him that he loses the impeachment power. But, you know, I don't know.
4: Fascinating point, And I'll bring it up with the caucus after this program. You've got to back on to the caucus. I'll bring it up. Thanks. And let me know what the
3: consensus is. I'd love to hear it. John in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Rep. world
5: I have a question for you about the filibuster. I know the gist of it is to be used to help block, but once the filibuster's enacted, how do you get
4: around that? The filibuster, if we can't get rid of it? Right. I mean, first, I think we have to try to get rid of it. And, you know, Manchin, as my understanding, has expressed an openness, a willingness to look at it. And so we now have the votes if we exercise it to get rid of the filibuster. If you don't get rid of the filibuster, then you're much more constrained. Now, you have a situation of budget reconciliation, which is how Trump got the tax cuts through, and how they plan to actually repeal the Affordable Care Act was also through the budget reconciliation process, which only requires 51 votes. We would have to be creative in pushing as much of our legislation through a budget reconciliation process that would require 51 votes and not 60 votes. I mean, one of the things McConnell really perfected was the arcane procedural maneuvers to give his caucus every advantage and something that we should do on our side to make sure that we're looking at every possible way to get our legislation through.
3: Anthony, in Detroit, Michigan, you're on the air with Representative Connor
4: saw on the opening day of
6: Congress that uh, you tweeted Representative kind of that, um, you know, there would be in the Energy and Commerce Committee maybe some fixes being brought to change the ACA. So I was wondering what those were. And then you also said maybe progressives can demand a Medicare for all vote within that uh, committee process. So could you, could you enlighten us?
4: It's a, it's a great question. I appreciate you following my Twitter. What I was saying is that there are a number of places where we can force a Medicare for all vote, uh, one of the things that it, it, I am uh, positive that uh, the Biden administration will want to do is uh, fix some of the uh, ACA uh, issues. Right now, uh, if you're a uh, particularly a family that's low income, the subsidies are simply not enough uh, to get uh, any kind of affordable insurance. And so if they come and say, well, we want to increase the subsidies for families, which is important, well, a lot of that money is going to go into the pocket of insurance companies and that's a time we can say, well, we want a vote on Medicare for All, uh, and we want uh, amendments and options that will move us to the direction of Medicare for All in addition to having a vote on Medicare for All. Uh, My point was we should not consider uh, just fixes for the ACA uh, without having the alternative uh, debated and discussed, which is that why a Uh, A public, single-payer system is is the best uh, uh, system for the country.
3: What's your sense of where the Democratic caucus overall is at with regard to Medicare for All?
4: I think you still have about 120 of us who who are for it. It's sad that it hasn't built more. I mean, in a pandemic, in a health crisis, this should be the time in a functioning democracy where you would get Medicare for All, but we're still not there.
3: Mary in St. Louis, Missouri, you're on the air with Rep. Khanna.
7: Why did it take so long for Nancy Pelosi to file the impeachment, start the impeachment proceedings? In my my humble opinion, that should have been done the next morning at the latest. She said that you know, she wanted to give Mike Pence a chance to do the 25th Amendment, but this is the man that whenever Donald Trump took his water off of the table, he took his water off the table. He has so much admiration for him that even that Donald Trump sounds like sent those people to kill him, to keep him from certifying the election, he still won't do it. And I could have told him that. I could have told her. That's a waste of time right there. So I just want to know what what you think about that.
4: Well, Mary, I agree with you that we should be moving now. I think her practically is that if we impeach today, the Senate will drag its feet and we won't have a resolution of actually the president being removed from office. And so it would be symbolic, which is important, but it wouldn't achieve the end of moving the president. And she wanted to to give some time or some pressure to McConnell, Republican leaders, and the vice president, who actually do have the power to get him to resign or, or, or to remove, but I agree with you that we should be having the vote as soon as possible to impeach.
3: Josh in St. Petersburg, Florida, you're on the air with Representative Connor.
6: Quick thing on the Mike Pence thing, the only thing that I could think of is he either, you know, he's one of these religious, just off the wall. I think he honestly either believes either God was going to protect him in some way or, You know, he's just like the rest of the the Republican Party. He's under the control of these corporations who are working through the strategists to basically just say everybody on the left is insane. They want Medicare for all. They want socialism. They want all this this stuff, which is, you know, destroys their corporate profits and all of that. So in my opinion, that's just he's just having his strings pulled by those up the top. But the thing that I wanted to ask you, Representative O'Connor, there was a proud boy at the White House. The article is dated December 15th, supposedly did not meet with the president just got a personal tour But is that something you're going to be focusing on in any supposed investigations? Because, as Tom said in the first hour, they knew what they were doing. They knew the layout of the building. They knew they were looking for the ballots. They knew where they were going. That's conspiracy for treason if there was any sort of coordination between either the president and this proud boy or somebody who spoke to somebody who spoke to the president and then met with this proud boy, in in your opinion, no?
4: You're absolutely right that we have to investigate what the White House's role was, how coordinated it was. I mean the videos of seeing them dancing while the rioters are outside the Capitol is horrific for anyone who hasn't seen President and his family in a tent dancing and, and joking around while you have the assault on uh, on the Capitol. And you're right that it was very systemic. I mean, the whip, Jim Clyburn's office, was a, is in a obscure place in the Capitol on the third floor. In fact, I've never even been up there. The fact that the protesters would go there, uh, he's the uh, senior African-American in Congress, and that they wouldn't go to Hoyer's office or some of the other offices. I don't think that was by coincidence. I personally think he was targeted. And so these are people who, this was not a random mob that just went and destroyed things. They had a very concerted plan of who to target and what they were doing. And that has to be investigated. And we have to look at whether law enforcement was complicit in certain parts of law enforcement and who else directed it.
3: Kevin, in Collinsville, Illinois. One minute, Kevin. Quick one, please.
4: I've been devastated ever since Jared Kushner got his clearance from Trump. And then you recall Trump yanked the clearance from Bill Brennan, Bill Clapper, and so many countless
5: others. My question is, can and should Joe Biden, when on day one of his presidency, yank the clearance from Donald Trump, Mike Pence, Jared Kushner, Hope Hicks, and everybody?
4: Yes, Kevin, I think so, and I I don't know the legality of yanking the clearance from Trump himself, though I think we should, and this may be a re- another reason to impeach him, and in that impeachment may trigger the revocation of access to National Intelligence.
3: Yeah, that's actually a really, really strong rationale for even a conviction in the Senate after he's left office. Uh, I hadn't even considered that. That's brilliant. Jeanette in Spirit Lake, Idaho. You are on the air with Representative Kana.
8: Oh, thank you so much for your time and service, both of you. Um, I have an idea for legislation that I would call transparency and policy, which would say that a bill that passes either half of Congress must get a vote in the other, because, you know, the obstruction by McConnell has kept voters in the dark, right? I mean, all of the Republicans that I've talked to agree that we need to end, you know, tax subsidies to big oil, but they have no idea that the Democrats, you know, under Obama passed a bill to do that. So, you know, I think this would give incumbents a better record that voters could, can use to decide. You know, that's why I would call it transparency and policy.
4: Do you think that that is viable? That's a great idea, actually, Jeanette, uh, That uh, if a bill passes one of the chambers, it should be required that you get an up or down vote on the other chamber in the other chamber. And that seems to me a uh, a, a very thoughtful, uh, constructive proposal for reform.
3: Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Connor.
9: Thank you, Tom. Uh, I wanted to, as a reminder, that Mitch McConnell accused Nancy Pelosi of dragging her feet in delivering articles of impeachment the first time. So the fact that there are only 12 days left in Donald Trump's term is not a reason to delay. It's a reason to expedite the delivery of the articles, which should be by tonight, and they should be voted on by Sunday morning. They should be on Mitch McConnell's desk and let him say, oh, it's, you know, I want him to say it's delayed. And how long did that sham no evidence trial take last time anyway. Two days? You know, the 25th Amendment can be used concurrently with impeachment to suspend Donald Trump's powers of the president. And, of course, the impeachment itself, without conviction or before conviction, has its, its, its effects as well. So I don't see the delay. And, Congressman, i got to tell you, I don't think I speak just for myself when I say that the American people need to see the Congress stand up for itself. You were attacked. The executive branch of this nation attacked the legislative branch. That's not sedition. That's an act of civil war. And we need to see that you're going to stand up. If you can't stand up for yourselves, how are you going to stand up for us?
4: Well, I respect your passion. I agree with you on the, that we ought to have a vote on impeachment. We, we need to do it now. We need to uh, push uh, McConnell to, to, to be clear where he stands. and. Uh, Uh, There's nothing on on, on what you said that I I disagree with in terms of having a vote and having it expeditiously.
3: Tom in Marquette, Michigan, you're on the air with Representative Kahn. Is there some less
5: invasive way to stop the president from doing anything else harmful by detaining him in the same way that I might be detained on the road if I'm suspected of doing something back down the road that caused uh, that was a criminal or, or suspected of being criminal? Could, could the president be detained?
4: Well, It's very hard to pursue that when he is the sitting president. And as a practical matter, you're not going to get Bill Barr to order that. But certainly the, the president's conduct in inciting violence uh, should be reviewed by the Justice Department uh, and could be criminal. I mean, it's uh, something that has to be reviewed. And uh, you're not allowed to incite violence or incite uh, unlawful conduct. And here you don't have some amorphous call. You have him saying, go uh, to the Capitol, and hours later, people invading the Capitol. So there's a direct connection.
3: John, in San Francisco, you're on the air with Representative Khanna.
6: I've called Tom and this program for four years now, writing up a document, a legal document to um, allow the rendition of anyone who's a th- domestic threat to the presidency and our democracy. And I don't think we need to write anything up. I think we need to do the rendition right now. What is your f- thoughts on this? And we could take him to Guantanamo Bay very conveniently, along with uh, Vice President Prince,
4: on whether we need to write up impeachment articles or do something b- without that. I mean, he's I, talking I about arresting uh,
3: arresting Trump and taking him to Gitmo. It's it's a, I think it's an over the top expression of how outraged people are, frankly.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess the outrage. I think what we don't want to do is, uh, uh, is act in ways that don't respect the rule of law. That's the difference between us and, uh, and Trump. We believe in the pr- rule of law. We believe in the process. Uh, and I believe in this case, the rule of law uh, is very powerful and would find culpability and would get us the outcome we need. But we need to proceed on that. Adam
3: in New Orleans, you're on the air with Rep. Connor. In my view, members of Congress were just
5: lucky on Tuesday. Now, listening to the governor of Maryland, two hours lost trying to get the secretary of defense to allow the national guard to mobilize he was missing in action the secretary of the army stepped in uh, providing that approval will the secretary of defense be held responsible for delaying national guard deployment i mean it was outrageous
4: it is outrageous i, I heard uh, an hour and a half of delay after the governor of maryland wanted the National Guard there. And after uh, Steny Hoyer was basically pleading to to send the National Guard, uh, that delay is inexcusable. And again, that it needs to be investigated. Why was there that delay? Was it the defense secretary? Uh, Was it Trump? I mean, who was uh, who was delaying the uh, call to send the National Guard? We need we need that to be investigated as well.
3: Scott, in Thomasville, Georgia, you are on the air with Representative Kahn.
4: I have a kind of a technical question,
2: and it's it involves Medicare and Medicaid. I've been in the insurance business for 20 years, so I'm pretty familiar with that. And one thing I know, Medicare and Medicaid does not pay does not reimburse providers providers or doctors and hospitals. They do not uh, reimburse them at market rates. Uh, in many cases, they pay less than cost. So essentially what you end up having, and especially it's really hit over the last 10 years, it it wasn't that bad idea back in 1975 when they started doing that. But now you basically have a hidden tax for the consumer, which could be somebody through Obamacare or could be through a large group plan or a self-pay person. Because they have to pay more. If I'm a self-pay, I have to pay more for my care. Than the government would pay for somebody that was on Medicare or Medicaid. And so we're so under- Scott, what's your question? The provider. So, my question is, why do we do it that way? <laughs> uh, we're talking about expanding Medicare, and instead of expanding something, go ahead and at least start paying the full cost as opposed to putting the cost on the American
4: people. So, that's my question. Thank you. Okay, I think this is an argument that you're making for why we need to expand Medicare, because the, the Medicare costs are much less than. Uh, the cost for self-care or this cost for private insurance, and we ought to have uh, everyone uh, on Medicare. And then uh, if uh, we need to increase the reimbursement rates uh, because hospitals may need that, we can do that. Uh, but it shouldn't be that the burden is falling on uh, people who are in self-care uh, or uh, on a uh, uh, private insurance, uh, companies with private insurance, actually is hurting small business. So Uh, your argument is one of standardizing the process, which is what a single-payer system would be.
3: This is a strong argument, is it not, for Medicare for All in as much as once everybody has the same system or the same program, it's going to be really hard for that program not to do a good job there there will be huge outrage across the the american population and this is why you know single-payer systems in other countries tend to work really well because everybody's in right now it's just old folks and and you know they're not that big a lobby
4: you're actually right and, and my experience is that most people who are on medicare are pretty happy with it uh, so uh, yes, it would put more pressure because you're going to have everyone in. Uh, and uh, y- you're going to have a system that more, most people like more than the private insurance because they, every doctor is considered a network.
3: I'm on Medicare. I love it. I am just for the record. Barbara in Kingston, New York. You're on the air with Representative Kana. Uh
8: Yes, hello. Good afternoon. And I'm really glad that you're safe from the event. But, um, you know, other callers have voiced what I want to say, which is why hasn't the people responsible for sedition been arrested? Okay, you, you answer the question by saying we have to follow rule of law. I'm a mother and a grandmother. There is a law that supersedes the slow process of our legislative process, and that is the preservation of life. So from where I'm looking and what I saw on social media, number 45, 126 congresspeople and the D.C. police created a situation that endangered life. And myself and my friends, we do not feel like we have a functioning government until that person and the person responsible are contained. They are not contained, which leaves us liable for more violence. So I'd like you to answer why these people have not been arrested.
4: Barbara, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who should have be arrested who are still out there. I mean, there were uh, hundreds of people in the Capitol uh, thousands, but hundreds, who were destroying property, uh, who had arms. I mean, anyone who brought an armed uh, weapon into the Capitol uh, has broken the the, the the law, and all of them should be arrested. We have video and footage of uh, most of these uh, people because the camera. There are a lot of cameras in the Capitol, and uh, I think that has to be a high priority uh, of the new police chief because we're going to have a new Capitol police chief to uh, figure out and work with the. Uh, federal law enforcement in making these arrests.
3: Sally in Roundup, Montana, you are on the air with Representative Connor.
8: Hi. Thank you very much for taking my call, Representative. I'd like to know something. What happened at the Capitol and the president's egging it on and and promoting it? isn't Isn't this called treason? I think it's called treason. I'm not stupid. Why isn't he put in jail? He's dangerous. The whole world is laughing at us, and I have a gut feeling that we're going to get attacked because we are now considered
4: weak. I agree with you, I Evan. I think it's a co- common refrain amongst your audience, Tom, that people want this president removed. They want it done fast. Uh, we, we, one of the things I've called for is we need to reconvene. I'm still in Washington, but Congress shouldn't be adjourned. We ought to be reconvening. We ought to be taking up the Articles of Impeachment. So I am in 100% agreement with all of the reasons your callers are giving.
3: Can Congress be reconvened virtually? Is it possible that Nancy Pelosi can call a virtual congressional session for this purpose?
4: We do have virtual calls. We were just having one this afternoon. But in terms of actually voting, we need to be in person to vote. You can vote proxy, but you still need a core group of people in Washington, and Congress has to be physically present to do that.
3: Coming up on The Science Revolution is Dr. Edwin C. May for an in-depth interview on how the federal government used ESP to spy on foreign governments. In brief, the U.S. military and intelligence communities funded a 20-year program to collect intelligence during the Cold War by using so-called psychics. Did it work? Was it successful? What happened and what can we learn from it? Dr. Edwin C. May also talks about the broader implications of ESP and psychics. Tune into the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Representative Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour national progressive town hall meeting. Mike in Hope Sound, Florida. You're on the air with Rep- Representative Khanna.
6: Hillary Clinton sat for 11 hours for Benghazi hearings when four Americans were killed. A tragedy that she did not incite. I expect somebody in Congress in the next several days to call for Trump's physical presence before or after his impeachment to, to answer to this incitement. Furthermore, I'd like to know how many uh, active duty or off duty police and military were actually part of that mob because there were there. And my final question is, there's no point in impeaching Trump again unless they impeach Pence. They gave him 24 hours to vote the 25th. And Pence gave his answer. So I'd like to have a response to that. Thank you, gentlemen.
4: I agree with you that we need to have answers from Trump. And I think having a committee hearing and, and, and calling him before that is a very reasonable idea. I do think Pence, you know, I think the ability to impeach both of them is going to be limited before the end of the term. And Pence, at least, is, has recognized the election results. So my view is having Pence there for 13 days is far, far better than having Donald Trump there uh and we ought to focus on removing trump
3: jim in tallahassee florida you're on the air
6: with representative connor thank you for everything you do representative um we have been suffering for for 20 or for a couple decades from a justice department regulation that has never been tested under law and i'm wondering if this is not the perfect opportunity to find out whether the president. How, just what is the president immune to as far as prosecution and uh, pursuit?
4: There's a high bar to clear to prosecute the president while he's in office, but this president's not going to be off in office uh, at the latest in 13 days. And at that point, I think following prosecution makes a, 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 a lot of sense for anything that he has done, which is illegal. And this incitement to violence is just one of many things that he's going to have to uh, answer for. Uh, and there is no protection for former presidents from uh, a, a prosecution on activity that is blatantly
3: illegal. Russell in Lake Jackson, Texas, you're on the air with Representative Connor what i
5: was asking the screener was that a lot of us had suffered you know we've suffered through watching the person who was supposed to be looking out for the welfare of this country with dictatorship trying to hold super spreader rallies in a time when the science didn't tell us to do that i mean congressman why did it take this than what happened in the last two weeks while y'all were trying to make legislation because you know after having americans have basically four years of their life stole from them that that didn't do it you know it it took something like this to see that we had somebody that had been basically rogue the whole the whole time you know and and, then we know what's what's went on with the virus you know it started off with a person coming in being bullied to, to everybody including all our allies you know putting tariffs on everybody i mean you know the push comes to shove you just can't do it that way and it was one time when President Senior Bush told the two Bush boys over some chads, you know, calm it down, calm it down. And it took their mom to, to sort it out because they couldn't. And then we've had to live through this. This is just ridiculous to steal four years of people's life. Thank you.
4: Well, so I, I agree with you. And it's uh, amazing to me that it's the same Trump who basically came in in, in campaign when he first. Uh, uh, announced, but it took really the graphic visuals of the storming of the Capitol. Uh, first time I saw Republicans turn on him. And I think it, it, it people had a fear that he is basically stoking instability and certainly conservative wealth, if anything, does not want instability and uh, in revolution in this country. And so uh, there was something about seeing the Capitol building stormed uh, that brought home the reality of how dangerous Trump is, something that uh, Democrats have been saying since the day he got into office.
3: A last minute here, Norma, in Montgomery, Alabama. Quick one for Representative Khanna.
8: Representative Khanna, we need expanded Medicare for all. Those of us out here who live on restricted incomes, particularly minimum wage employees, can no longer afford the feed and care of rich CEOs for United Healthcare or Blue Cross or any other health insurance industry. They cannot pay thousands of dollars a month for health insurance when they don't even make thousands of dollars a month. There is no way that we are going to be able to continue with private health insurance. How soon do you think that you can get this through the House and get it through the Senate with Mitch McConnell's group of people who support these rich people? We can't afford it any
4: longer. Well, Norma, thank you for speaking out. I mean, I think what we need to do is have people like you in Washington and, and have press conferences end put a face to what – suffering there is. I mean, there are a lot of people like you, Norma, who are working hard, who basically can't afford the insurance premiums and can't afford the medical deductibles and are either going into bankruptcy or foregoing medical care. And that is why having the expansion of Medicare for everyone, health care as a human right, has to be a priority. It is a fight, though. I mean, you have a lot of interests against it, but we're going to make sure that we get a vote on it in, in the House.
3: Representative Connor, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great having you with us.
4: Thank you. always oh, great being on.
3: And it's time for Congressman Mark Pocan for our progressive town hall meeting here, a national progressive town hall meeting with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan represents the second district of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives pocan.house.gov is his website. His Twitter handle is Rep. Mark Pocan and Congressman Pocan. Welcome back. First of all, I understand that under the new House rules, you're not congressman anymore. You're Representative Pocan. We're gender neutralizing everything, which is going to be a big habit for me to break in
10: my head. My apologies if I screw it up, but do I have that right? Yeah, and the Republicans are trying to, of course, pretend it's something else. But, you know, We've got a very diverse Congress, and it's time we recognize that. You know, I introduced legislation last session that technically we, by our statutes, cannot allow for a female or a same-sex couple to be recognized under federal law as president. And we have to clean up some of that even as well. So I think you know we're at a point where we realize America is in a very unique place right now, and we've got to clear up our language. and I think that's what we tried to do in the House the other day.
3: Yeah, I'm all in favor of it. I think it's I think it's a good and important step. It's just, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years and, right. and uh, you know, for years and years it was Congressman Bernie Sanders. And then, and then, and then you know, and I just it's just stuck in my head. I think it's going to take a, a little bit. But nonetheless,
10: Representative Mark Pocan. So what are your thoughts on the victory in Georgia? A huge victory in Georgia. I think Donald Trump, you know, and worrying about himself only is one of the people that we probably uh, also need to thank as as, as well as Stacey Abrams and the candidates and the people of Georgia. But, you know, today, I mean, this is a fight within Mm -hmm. and for the soul of the Republican Party. Are they going to continue to be a cult following a cult leader? Or are they going to try to form themselves back into an ideological party? And there's a big divide among Republicans. So in many ways, we're watching this as that.
3: Pamela in Bremerton, Washington, you're on the air with Representative Pocamp.
7: Yes, thank you for taking my call. Former presidents retain their security clearance after they leave office. And given Trump's propensity to divulge classified information, the security agencies seem concerned that he will trade our secrets to foreign businesses and governments and trade for favors. Can the Biden administration revoke his clearance? And if so, do you think they would?
10: Uh, Pamela, great question. First of all, Tom, maybe if you just say Mark, then we don't got to worry about any of the new rule changes. I'm fine with that, uh, Mark. Uh, that may just be a lot easier. No, I need to get in us, the habit, so. you know? Yeah, no <laughs> worries. I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, uh, Pamela, you know, I, I don't know if the Biden administration can do it by itself or if it would take an act of Congress because uh, it is likely constitutional that that happens. But I share your concern. I mean, this president has shown he doesn't care. Uh, or give a damn about the country. What he cares about is Donald Trump and the Trump Corporation um, and whatever uh, rabbit hole he's jumping down at any given moment. So, you know, this is a real issue, and I think we have to have a conversation as a Congress about this. But I'm not sure if the Biden administration uh, can unilaterally make that decision, but we certainly should be concerned about a guy that has shown that he does not put the country first, he puts himself first.
3: James in Federal Way, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Pocan.
10: Hi, Representative.
6: Thank you for your service. Thank Uh, you. What what are the institutional reforms that could or should be taken to offset attempts at authoritarianism, just that kind of rule that that we're being threatened with?
10: Yeah, James, I mean, a a couple of things. One, I think H.R. 1, I think there's a lot of good government things in there. That will address the undue influence of special interests as well in Washington, and all the more reason to get that done. It's not just about the electoral changes that certainly have to happen and uh, the campaign finance changes that certainly have to happen. But, you know, there's 1,500 pharmaceutical lobbyists in Washington, D.C. That's uh, three for every member of the House and Senate. I'm not sure who my three are, uh, but that's screwed up. Uh, right? You can't get something done uh, effectively about drug prices when you've got that much undue influence. So we've got to address some of those structural changes to make government work, I think, for everyone. Uh, And then I think we have to look at some of the abuses that the Trump administration did, whether it be loopholes or or outright flagrant violations of the law, and try to make it harder for anyone in the future to be as much of an authoritarian as, as he was. So um, hopefully, he gave us some of a roadmap, and some of it we already know, and we've got legislation to try to address. Do you think that
3: there are enough Republicans on board with us that it's the sort of thing that could survive a filibuster?
10: You know, it's it's going to be tight with the Senate period, right? If they're fifty-fifty, how they move forward on rules, how they have a joint governing even structure, I think we're all going to find out how that unfolds in the coming days. But, you know, if, okay. if we have to, I hope not, break out certain parts in order to have them advance, that may ultimately be a decision that has to happen by Chuck Schumer.
3: Congressman Mark Pocan taking, uh, Representative Mark Pocan taking your calls. I am practicing. I'll get there. Let's go Uh, with Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mark is taking your calls for the hour. But thank you for holding my hand through this learning curve, Congressman. Um, Old dogs and new tricks and all that kind of stuff. Barbara in Chicago Heights, Illinois, you are on the air with Representative Pocan.
8: Congressman Pocan, my concern is about the 2020 census. Now you know, this last administration was, one, was the most corrupt and incompetent administration. So what are the chances that something will have to be done to correct the, uh, the problems that probably lie in the 2020 census? And plus, they didn't allow it to be completed. So what is, con- what is it that Congress can do to correct, to make that census fair and equitable and really representative of the country?
10: Yeah, Barbara, my guess is this is something that the Biden administration can do even without Congress necessarily having to get involved because um, of what Donald Trump did uh, largely through his administration rather than Congress doing something to screw it up. But you're right. Um, you know, if we don't have an accurate census, it's going to affect a lot of people uh, because that's how federal funds go to local communities and support programs. And, and that's why it's such a vital uh, to get it right. And yet why Donald Trump um, Didn't want to get it right because, uh, again, he's still manipulating elections and other things. So, you know, this is going to be really important in two weeks when uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are sworn in. We are going to have to make sure that their administration uh, has a plan to, uh, if it needs to reignite the census or do whatever we need to, to make sure we're getting a good final count uh, and be able to proceed. And and as far as I'm concerned, if that takes longer and delays redistricting a little bit, that is fine because it's more important that we get the count right.
3: Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida, you're on the air with Representative Mark Pocan.
8: Thank you for taking my call, Congressman. I wanted to thank you for all your hard work and hopefully that you're going to throw the central state pension plans into some kind of stimulus package but what i'm calling about is i want to know if you guys or your congressmen and senators will run an investigation on the current postmaster general and make him answer why he took out 671 processing machines and closed down plants unnecessarily while postal workers are struggling and many of them my old office half of the carriers have caught COVID-19 and one lost her husband last week. I'll take your answer off the air.
10: Yeah, sorry to hear that, Linda. I'll tell you, this is one that, you know, again, Donald Trump Trying to affect the election is screwing up one of the most important institutions that's actually mentioned in the Constitution, which is the postal service. And you know we absolutely have to do something. I, I, you know, from when you're from Wisconsin, one of the things you send out at holiday time to friends and family are cheese because we have the best cheese in the country. I'll I'll say that to my friends in Vermont and California. And uh, I have someone who just told me yesterday they received a package that I sent out two and a half weeks ago, uh, through the Postal Service, um, because of the very problems you brought up, Uh, not because we don't have great people who work for the Postal Service, but because we have the institution uh, failing because of decisions made by this postmaster general and and really Donald Trump. So we absolutely have to do uh, not only that, restore the service, but let's go after the weird um, things that have existed since uh, George W. Bush was president, where uh we make them prefund their benefits for their employees 75 years into the future no other agency does that and because of that they have some financial issues we need to give them whatever additional services they need so that they can be uh, solvent financially but it is a vital service that when you go to the rural parts of my district if they don't have broadband and they don't have a postal service you're not able to have a business and uh, you know for the survivability of the country the postal service is is, is vital not just the fact that it's mentioned in the Constitution. So you're completely right, Linda, we've got to do something about it. And uh, not just this Postmaster General, but let's deal with some of these bigger issues that have unfortunately plagued the Postal Service for a little too long.
3: Jennifer in Stillwater, Minnesota, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
1: Hi, Representative Pocan, I'm calling about Why, you guys in the Progressive Caucus, we asked 15 of you last week. I called all 15 of you asking you to withhold your vote for Nancy Pelosi for Speaker for her fourth term as leverage in exchange for her bringing Medicare for All to the House floor for a vote. And none of you did it. And I actually live on the Wisconsin border in Stillwater, Minnesota. And I have suffered from chronic Lyme disease for 20 years. And it's rampant in your state of Wisconsin and in Minnesota. And my corporate health insurance does not cover my IV antibiotics, my treatments, my doctors. And so I need Medicare for all. And I asked the progressive caucus, who, by the way, I got elected, many of them, Ilhan Omar and a bunch of you. And you know, I made calls, I donated. And all we asked for was a House floor vote in exchange you know, for Medicare for all, in exchange for you guys voting for Pelosi's fourth term.
0: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder.
1: The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates
0: a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills.
1: Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued
3: Coming up on The Science Revolution is Dr. Edwin C. May for an in-depth interview on how the federal government used ESP to spy on foreign governments. In brief, the U.S. military and intelligence communities funded a 20-year program to collect intelligence during the Cold War by using so-called psychics. Did it work? Was it successful? What happened and what can we learn from it? Dr. Edwin C. May also talks about the broader implications of ESP and psychics. Tune into the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Congressman Pocan, the caller that we had just before the break was asking about this. Uh, uh, it was pretty big on Twitter, this whole kerfuffle about let's force Nancy Pelosi to hold a vote on Medicare for all on the floor of the House so that we can get people on the record, etc., cetera. Et cetera and uh it didn't catch much traction among members of the progressive caucus you want to give us a uh, you know what happened
10: sure i think and, and jennifer is exactly right we, we need medicare for all uh, we're the only uh, industrialized nation that doesn't have universal health care and i've been politifacted on that and that's true and it's also uh sad that that's the reality the thing is i, I think the reason it didn't happen is for very strategic reasons well i think there were many people who believe passionately about Medicare for all, who are looking for every possible way to get it passed. The problem is we only have about 120 sponsors of the bill, and you need 218 votes for anything to pass Congress. So we, if we would put it on the floor, it would not pass. And there's a reason why you don't put bills on the floor if they don't have the votes. Otherwise, we would do it all the time if this was a good strategy. But we don't because it's harder to get someone to flip from voting no to yes uh, than it is to try to convince them to be a yes to support something, which is generally when we put it on the floor. And uh, we need to—we have the list already uh, of people who support it and who don't. There's 120 sponsors. You should assume if someone's not a sponsor of the bill, they don't support it. We need help in getting another 100 people uh, on boards so that we can get it to the floor and actually pass it and make it a reality. But getting them on the record voting no uh, will make it harder to ultimately get them to yes, and it will work against. Uh, The strategy. That's why everyone, from the bill's authors, Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal, to every organization that supports Medicare for All, major organization, did not support the strategy because it would actually set us back in getting this to be a reality. Now, you know, again, some people very genuinely want to get Medicare for All done, and that's why they want us to move this forward. And there were some people who uh, have you know, YouTube shows who want to you know, crank up their ratings, and some people want to form a third political party, and this was advantageous for them. Their goal wasn't the same as, I think, the vast majority of people who want to see Medicare for All. Their goal was to take care of themselves, and we, if we really want to see Medicare for All... Um, that's the reason that everyone from Bernie and AOC and Pramila Jayapal to every organization like National Nurses United and others that were supporting Medicare for All did not support doing that because having someone vote no makes it much harder for us to get them I- it to support it. And rather than attacking AOC and Bernie and myself and Pramila, uh, it's better to get people to be sponsors of the bill so we can ultimately get this done because we have to. We are the only industrialized nation that doesn't have universal health care. So, Tom, um, that's the reason. And, uh, you know, many of us are very, very committed to getting this done, but we really do need help on getting more people to be sponsors.
3: Yeah, and, and which is the hard work the, the cheap easy work, the stunt work is saying oh let's hold a revolt and you know uh, and, and you know d- just to promote your radio show or your YouTube show, channel or something like that I, 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 I thought it was the whole thing was very sad by the way, uh, just uh, FYI for our listeners on KPFK in Los Angeles uh, we will uh, uh, KPFK will be carrying all three hours of the show today. Joe in Gordonsville Virginia hey Joe, you're on the air with, com- with representative Pocan.
5: Nice talking to you, Tom, and Congressman Pokane. Uh, my wife and I were having breakfast this morning, and she said, How do they pick, a, I guess you'd call a leader of the Senate, when you got a 50 50 tie? How will you settle that? Who, who will, thank God, I hope, take Mitch McConnell's job, and I'll take your answer offline. And thank you, and you guys do a great job. Bye bye.
10: Thank you, Joe. Joe. I I, I think that's what we are as a country going to learn in the coming uh, hours and days, uh, how this is going to happen. Because with the 50-50 Senate, there's going to be some shared governance. But at the end of the day, the tie-breaking vote goes to the vice president. They're going to have to figure out some of the structure. I mean, there's no question if something gets to the floor, it will have the votes to proceed if we hold every Democrat. If if, uh, we hold every Democrat, that's going to be a big challenge. For us moving forward but exactly what that looks like i think we're going to see it unfold in the coming days joe
3: keith in newcastle wyoming you're on the air with representative pokan campaign finance reform or term limits anywhere
10: on the radar congressman yeah campaign finance reform absolutely that's part of hr one the very first bill we're going to introduce uh term limits is not and um You know, I think it's something we can debate, Keith, but I think, you know, for many people, uh, term limits are elections. You know, you can make that decision every time someone's up. And, uh, you know, I I think it hasn't been part of uh, generally the progressive uh, discourse in, in, you know, looking at the elections and uh, campaign finance reform.
3: Well, the other thing we found, you know, in the the idea of states being laboratories of democracy, um, there's about a half a dozen states that have introduced term limits. And in every single case, I'm not sure the exact number, but in every single case, and and, uh, one of the PIRG groups, when it did a really good analysis of this, and what they found was when you term limit legislators, um, you end up kicking out the the people who really know how everything works, uh, the institutional infrastructure, as it were, of Congress, and that gets replaced by the lobbyists because the lobbyists don't get term limited. They're there forever. Exactly. And so increasingly, new members of Congress or state legislatures have to turn to lobbyists to, to, to hold their hands and show them, you know, where the bathroom is and how things get done and how does this get, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just, term limits just radically inc- increase the power and influence of special interests, or at least that's what I've read. Do you know anything that that? I've seen that directly
10: that? in Michigan, Tom, you know, where they have three term limits. Yeah. the first term you're they're learning the job the second term you might be a committee chair already and by your third term you're planning your exit because you're you're no longer going to be in office and people are then thinking about becoming lobbyists or doing whatever they're going to do next and it it does stymie i think the progress that you're talking about
3: yeah jerry in shopville kentucky jerry you're on the air with representative Pocan.
10: yes
11: good morning to both of you in the uh, 2016 election roughly 56% uh fifty six percent of the Republican voters was over seventy years old. And of course, a lot of which were, I guess, the silent majority, which at that time were been seventy-one So I, I don't think it's hard to realize that during that time a lot of those people have since passed away. On the other hand, fifty percent of the Republicans or over fifty percent of the Democrats, I'm sorry, uh were under fifty years old. A large number were between the ages of uh, 18 and 24. So it wouldn't be hard to understand that uh, the 18, the peop, young boy, young people that were 14 to 18 at the time would be, you know, how many of those would have been? All of those would have been 18 to 24. I mean, 18, 18 or older during the uh, uh, 2020 election. And I was wondering, how many of them do you think actually did that trend hold true? That before they had that member large number of younger voters still voting uh... republican i mean democrat and it seems to me you gotta Party that one that's deceasing and the other's increasing, is that the trend we're seeing? Thank you, sir. And everybody have a good day.
10: Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry, I don't have those stats at my my fingertips, but I think you're right. I mean, generally younger voters, uh, the issues they support have fallen in the Democratic column. However, I know this time more older voters also because of how Donald Trump handled COVID. Um, you know, we had saw a, a, a trend uh, away from the Republican Party to some degree. And I haven't seen the final numbers through age demographics. Um, but but you're right on younger voters. I mean, generally, the issues uh, that younger voters support fall in line with where Democrats are.
3: Israel in Chandler, Arizona, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
10: Uh,
11: good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I think that's pretty past time that Congress reassert its position as the first among equals in the federal constitutional system. And I think one way to do that, and it would strongly recommend, especially with the Voting Rights Act, if it's passed, that it add a clause saying that the Supreme Court need not or does not or cannot review the constitutionality of the Voting Rights Act. What do you say?
10: Hmm. Um, I, I have to think about it. The first time I've heard that proposal, Israel. Um, I completely agree with you that you know Congress needs to reassert its constitutional authority, especially when it comes to going to war. Um, you know, this is something we have seen, uh, quite honestly, Democratic and Republican presidents abuse um, since 9/11 um, because. The, if they can, of course, they want to make it uh, easier rather than going through Congress. But in the Constitution, it says you need to go to Congress. So I agree with your general premise. The specific premise, though, um, about the allowing Supreme Court to review the constitutionality, uh, I, I would have to take a look at because it's the first time I've heard that proposed.
3: Do you, do you think that the—there's there, really kind of two things here. The, the, the old Voting Rights Act, you know, that, that goes back to the 60s that congress or that the supreme court gutted and then hr1 is hr1 restoring most of those provisions of the of the voting rights act or is that going to require a separate piece of legislation
10: no no no. exactly it does and it also does it in the in the the way that we know would address the supreme court decision um decisions out there and then also there's another bill i think it's hr four i'm making my numbers wrong that deals strictly with voting rights so there's no question nancy's already said that's one of the first things we're going to get done and uh it, it's needed and i think you can be assured that it will get through congress
3: god bless you all that's wonderful Representative Mark Pocan taking your calls. Pam in Santa Fe, New Mexico, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
8: Hello, Tom and Representative Pocan. My concern is, I understand that Biden is making noises like let's let go and unite and move on, you know. And I'm concerned because in 2016, you know, so many of us felt like well, you've just elected our domestic violence perpetrator to the highest office in the land, and it hasn't gotten any better over the four years. You know, I, I don't know. The events of the past month just make it even scarier.
10: She's right. I mean, you know, the president has to try to bring people together, but that doesn't mean you don't put your agenda forward. And after watching the devastation of the last four years under Donald Trump, there's a lot we have to do. And I don't think we want to Uh, follow some of the mistakes, and they were mistakes in 2008, when people uh, tried so much to bring everyone together that we didn't get something done in those first two years, and then we lost some opportunities. We have a lot not only to fix that Donald Trump broke, but also to put forward so the new normal coming out of COVID uh, is a new Uh, normal, that we've got better things in place, that we've learned that we need to do for this country. So, you know, I hope that he, uh, as much as he tries to reach out, if folks aren't reaching back on the other side, we still are moving forward with an agenda to to improve the lives of the people in the country. And I I truly hope that's what Joe Biden is going to do.
3: Pam in Chicago,
10: here on the air with
3: Representative Pocan.
7: Tom, I have to thank you. As a white man, the, the way you publicly speak about racism, in your own truth. And then you also talk about fascism and all that this has meant to our country. Representative Pocan, I'm a black woman. When you tell me that we should be trying to unify with these Republicans, it's problematic for me because I see the Republican Party as a political arm of these hate groups. And too many of the Republican Uh, elected officials have gone along with trump a white nationalist and didn't stand up to him so when biden says well we want to unite and heal it takes two to do that and it seems to me that biden's friendship or his working relationship with mcconnell and the rest of them didn't work so my question to you is this that progressive black people grassroots people poor white people all of us have worked hard to get this majority. Now I'm hearing in the media, well, Joe Manchin now has more power, because they'll have, uh, they'll have to come together and work in unity. And my question to you is, I'm concerned, because Joe Manchin didn't put any work and effort into it. So what does that mean for people like me? And having to, you, we have ma'am. to concede to what Joe Manchin and the, the the elected official like him want. What what does that mean? Because that's not what we Thank find. You, Pam.
10: Oop, I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, no, we... Pam, I, I hear you. And, and if you listen to what I said, I didn't recommend uh, that we need to do unity to Joe Biden, saying that, that that's the goal. I, I In fact, I said just the opposite. We need to proceed with the things that we need to get done. There was a lot of damage done by Donald Trump in the last four years, and we don't want to repeat the mistakes that I think that we made the first two years in the Obama administration, where they did try to put their hand out too often, only to have it slapped down over and over. Um, the difficulty, I think, what you mentioned and you're hearing from the media is with a 50-50 Senate, you know, any one senator can screw things up. And you know that's why the people who are most likely to screw it up quite honestly and bluntly, are people like Joe Manchin, and uh, that's why that's being said. Now, I'm hoping that Chuck Schumer will use uh, the discipline that he should be able to use uh, within the Democratic Party and the Senate and get those folks to be on board for very important things that we need to get done, and I hope we don't uh, duplicate that uh, first two years of the uh, Obama presidency in 2008 where we trying to reach out so often we didn't get as much done as we needed to. So, um, I agree with you. Let's, let's get things done. People coming out of COVID more than ever, we need to do this.
3: Doesn't this situation, while yes, it enhances Joe Manchin's power because he can be a roadblock, it also enhances Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's power in the Senate because they can do the same thing, does it not?
10: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the point that we need to be able to use that power and that's one of the things the progressive caucus has always done by working together we're much stronger than working individually and if we have a number of folks and we have a small margin of forget in the house as well the problem is so does blue dogs or in the Senate so does Joe Manchin so it's gonna be a, a tough few years I think we make a huge mistake if we don't push the agenda hard yeah
3: thank you so much for dropping by today Representative Pocan we look forward to the next time thank you Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Great talking with you. As always, one of the finest members of the U.S. House of Representatives, Representative Mark Pocan. Pocan Pocan.house.gov.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.